Welcome to Living Word Bible Church, a lovely place for families where we have a passion to sing great songs to Jesus and where sound Bible teaching is central in home groups and in preaching at Sunday services. Living Word. Okay, thank you. Um, good morning to those who are present with us this morning and those who are watching through live stream or later on on YouTube. Um, this morning we're reading from Acts chapter 2 and verses 32 through 47. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptised every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. Many with other words he warned them, uh, with many other words he warned them, and he pleaded with them, Save yourself from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about three thousand were added to their number that day the fellowship of believers. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favour of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Yvonne. Hey. You can hear me okay? No, you know, no? Okay. Is everything okay with me, Sid? Would you just check this? Sorry about this. Is, does that look like it's doing something it's not meant to? Okay, yeah, wrong. It was my fault. Yeah. It always is, of course it is. Now, now can you hear me? Of course you can hear me. Yeah. And we're trying some new technology out today, so bear with me. If you see me waving to Matt, okay, you know, just ignore that. It's the deal with it. We're just trying this technology out. It allows me to roam around uh, and still be on the box. 
you're probably thinking, we just prefer to, to listen than to see you, Monta. But look, you know, you never know. On the other occasion, someone may want to look at me whilst listening to me preach. So we'll, we'll see how that goes. So Matt, you tell me um, if everything's good. Everything's good? Yeah? Okay. Let me start. Let me tell you, look, I don't know a lot about cricket, uh, although this is a big game in the UK. It's not as big as it is in Oz. But let me tell you about the strikers. So Tom Watson got noticed because of his exceptional cricket skills. And he got an invitation by the strikers to come and do a tryout for the forthcoming Big Bash uh, cricket tournament. So he turns up on a, I, never, I nearly said cold November morning because it, it is cold back in the motherland. Okay, on a warm November morning, he turns up and he, he has his trial. He goes onto the pitch. He does everything they said to him. And he, and he does his best. That's scene one. Scene two. It's several weeks on. It's December the 19th. There's a big bash game going on. It's the Adelaide Strikers against the Hurricane Hobart. I only know a couple of teams, you see. Okay, so it's the Hobart. And on the pitch is Jake Weatherall. And he's just scored the century and he's going at great guns. And with all the confidence that getting a century gives you, he, he, he hits out without any real caution at the ball hurtling towards him and he hits his wicket. He's bowled out. He walks off and as he walks off, he passes Tom Watson as he taps him on the shoulder and says, good inning, mate. And then Tom goes up to the wicket. He has a bat in his hand. He stands on his crease and he gets ready for the ball. The ball comes straight off the bowling arm and it looks like he's going to miss him to begin with. He's heading somewhere way out there. At the last minute, the ball arcs and heads straight for his wicket. Fortunately, Tom is a young fella and with, his, with the instinct of a young person, he withdraws his bat and he hits his ball and goes, wow, flies into the crowd, into the grandstand and people are waving banners, posters with six written all over it. Okay. Here's a question. Did Tom, when he had the tryout, did Tom get the position of playing for the strikers? That's the question. Did Tom make it into the team? Did he make the cut? Did the strikers call him up to play? And here's the thing, how can I know for sure? I mean, Tom may just be a bragger. How can I be sure that Tom really got called up to play for the strikers? Someone else, how can I be sure? Thanks, Jerry. It's not rocket science, is it? How can I be sure? How can I know? How can I believe what he says? Because you'll watch him play. You just heard him play and scored a six in the middle of a match. I want you to just keep that in mind for a minute. We'll come back to it later. This is our fourth session in chapter three. Uh, we did chapters one and two at speedy Gonzalez speed. Uh, that was the plan for chapter three too, but I keep, I kept having these hiccups. And so we, we're stuttering our way through chapter four, three. This is our fourth visit so far, just very quickly, God's purposes for us. Though delayed, will come to pass. The certainty and urgency of God's mission agenda, that was week one. Week two, God's loving kindness encompasses 
all of his creation. And there's hope for the Ninevites in Jonah's sermon. And the last week, the gifts of faith and repentance are graciously given to the Ninevites. That was last week. Now today, number six. I think we'll have one more. We'll do verse 10, 9 and 10 next week is the plan. So today, verses 6 to 8, and here's our heading. Genuine faith and repentance, genuine faith and repentance is an ongoing personal phenomenon that is authenticated by works. That's long-winded, I'm sorry. Okay, <laughs> we get what I'm saying? Genuine faith and repentance is an ongoing personal phenomenon that is authenticated by works. How can I know for sure Tom Watson made it up to the lineup to play for the Strikers? Because we saw him play. How can I know that genuine faith and repentance has taken place in my life? That's where we're going. That's where we're going, okay? So verse 6, verse 6. When the news reached the king, so the news of Jonah's sermon, remember we said it was more than that eight English words, five Hebrew words. It's much more than that. This is an abbreviation of his sermon. But after news of Jonah's sermon, and it seems that it may be secondhand, the king hasn't even heard the sermon for himself. He's got it secondhand, it seems. It's unlikely that the king would have got it from Jonah's mouth because Jonah would not have got an invite from an Israelite. Okay, so he gets it most like a second hand, but when the news reaches the king, listen to this, the king of Nineveh, and boy, if the people are bad, you can be sure that the king was bad, rose from his throne to have Nehemiah, to have Jonah executed, you'd think, wouldn't you? Who's this guy? What's he doing in Nineveh? How dare he? But instead, when the king of Nineveh rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth and cloth and sat down in the dust. What's happening to the king? Whatever's happened to the people is happening to the king. This move of God's spirit is truly transformative transforming. It's citywide. Look in verse five we know that the that the, that the people believe God, but we now have the king. And this is a big deal. And we know ourselves only, perhaps the hardest people to reach with the gospel are people in places of authority. And so the king, you know, hearing the report, is probably the chief protagonist, is swallowed up in the tidal wave of this move of God. Verse 7. And listen, this is what he does. So the king, having heard the message, responded to the message, seeing or heard what the people are doing, takes it, upon, takes it upon himself to do two things. He endorses what they're doing and he enhances what they're already doing. Verse 7, then he issued a proclamation in Nineveh by the decree of the king. Okay, so these are the people are doing it individually, but now it becomes a state-led thing from the top down, if you like. Issue a decree from the king and his nobles, do not let man or beast, herd or flock, taste anything. 
do not let them eat or drink, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence and their violence. It's peculiar, isn't it, that he calls uh, the animals. He involves the animals in this. I mean, poor animals, they've got no conception of what's going on here. But, but it's, it's another expression of their deep remorse, isn't it? That even with what they own, they want to express something of this to God. The question we're asking is, what does authentic faith and authentic repentance look like? Hey, in Nineveh it looks like a people who are cut to the heart. That's why we had Acts 2 read. Okay? It looks like a king who comes off his throne and humbles himself. It looks like a people coming together and casting themselves on God for their mercy, for his mercy. It looks like tears. It looks like people who are forsaking how they used to live. Look, I've got some headings here. Next one, please, Greg. Um, maybe the one after that. Uh, yes, thank you. This sums up really what's going on here. There's an intensification of the general fast. There's an expansion of the sackcloth and repentance. There's the command to cry out to the God of Israel. We don't know, we don't know if Jonah said that. Remember, what was his sermon? <laughs> You're all dead. Doom, doom, doom. I'm thinking of uh, uh, Only Fools and Horses, Blackadder goes forth. Uh, what's his name? Baldrick. You know, doom, doom, doom. That, that's all he's preaching. But the king, there's a command to cry out to the God of Israel. There's a command to repent from evil ways and violence. And there's a plea to urgently call on God. Same thing. This is pretty life-changing. It's pretty evidential. You could report this and you'd know something's changed. They were linked to the territory you lived in. You know, to call on the gods of the Israelites was humiliating to a nation like Nineveh. I mean, to be, you know, especially when you sack these people and when you treat them poorly, now to call on their god. So this is astonishing stuff. These people were bad. I think we said last week, these, these, they used to flay, you know, you alive. Hang your body. King identified as an individual. There's 120,000 people there. How real was it? Oh, sounds like necessarily a name, doesn't it? Uh, how, how would Lorraine, uh, Lorraine, Lorraine Rosskogler have fared in all this? And I want to suggest, friends, this isn't just a mass movement of God, uh, you know, where people are just going with a big wave. You know, it's like, you know, when if, I mentioned cricket earlier, if you're watching a cricket match, you know, and if someone starts a Mexican wave at that end of the stadium, what happens when it gets to you? What do you do involuntarily? Even if you're shy like me, and you think that's funny, but I am shy. What do you do involuntarily? You just get involved, don't you? When the wave comes to you, what do you do? You stand up exactly the right time. And this could be, a, this could be the case with this move of God. Maybe these people are just all copycat religions. And yeah, look, there's something very personal because this isn't just a crowd thing. We know this came to us in Hebrew. Uh, scholars say that in the Hebrew, and I think the text is up there, the text reads like this. Let each person, 
Let each person repent of his evil way and from the violence that is in his heart. This is very individualized. There's 120,000 people involved, but it's, it's individuals that are making up the 120,000. These are real men and women, real individual people who are making real personal responses of repentance, evidenced by fasting and sackcloth and earnest prayer and forsaking evil and pursuing godliness. If we did a, a three-day reconnaissance in the city, a, a, a reconnaissance three days later, after Jonah had finished, or even three months later, I think we'd find that there wasn't a home where people weren't touched. That's the level of intensity of what's going on here. Let me tell you about the Welsh Revival. You know we're, uh, uh, we're honourably owned by the Welsh. We spend a lot of our lives in Wales. One of our children was born there. He's Welsh through and through. Okay? The 1904 Revival. Have you heard of that? Yeah? Yeah? Okay. Massive life changes. The Pentecostal movement, Ealing Pentecostalism and AOG Pentecostalism in the UK came out of that movement. Phenomenal stories of revival. You hear stories like this, and you may have heard it, of the coal miners and how their donkey, donkeys stopped obeying them. What do you think? Because they stopped swearing. Because they stopped swearing. The donkeys could no longer understand their English because it was no longer included profanities. And a, there was a real dilemma after the revival. Do they just use the swear words just to make the donkeys obey them? You know, and say sorry to God, you know, you know we, 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 they won't listen to us otherwise. Or do they have to retrain the donkeys and they retrain them all? A move of God has that kind of impact. It changes individuals right down to something. And we may regard it, and I've noticed this, please don't be offended, but swearing is much more accepted regular in Christian circles in Australia than it is in the UK. Yeah. Seriously, I've, I hear words in church that, that I personally find quite shocking, uh, but it just seems you know, people are a bit more relaxed here. I'm not judging them, but I'm just suggesting in this situation, hey, down to the nitty-gritty of how they spoke was transformed. I think in Nineveh, there would be no doubt that transformation, that faith had occurred and repentance had occurred. Because it was like watching Tom Watson play for the strikers. It was obvious. Would someone find Acts, not Acts, James, James 2. Timothy, Timothy, Titus, Philemon and Hebrew, James. It's towards the end of the New Testament. It's a brother of Jesus. James chapter 2. I wonder if you, maybe you can just read it for us. James 2, 14 to 24. Whoever finds it first, just read as loud as you can, if you would please, Yvonne. Thank you. Faith and deeds. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food, if one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, 
if, if he's not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there is one God, good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. You foolish person, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together and his faith has made was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called God's friend. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. Thank you, Yvonne. They're pretty challenging words. You know, Luther, Martin Luther thought they were so challenging, he didn't believe that the book of James should be in Scripture. Because it's challenging a fundamental premise of the Christian faith. What do we tell everybody? All you have to do is just... We say that, don't we? I say that. And I'm not even suggesting that you stop saying that. What's James saying? It's not enough. It's not merely about belief. Because what James is saying, if our belief doesn't actually transmit into action, it's not belief. Well, my faith makes me want to do it. Thank you, Nikki. And I think that's the point. This faith is the engine. If you've got a car and the engine sounds great, vroom, vroom, okay? But then you put it in the first gear and it goes nowhere. Okay, and you've released the handbrake. Okay, oh, I know, you're thinking, you're thinking of doing a donut, aren't you? Yeah, yeah, you want to skid around, don't you? Yeah, 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 you actually imagine you're doing that, Lorraine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Look, you know, there's something wrong, isn't there? Faith that doesn't mobilize is not faith. And that tells us that we can have counterfeit faith. It says all the right stuff. But there's no motion. We never get on... We, we say we play for the strikers. I had a friend at school. I've recently got in touch with him on Facebook. Uh, I won't say anymore, just in case he hears this. But he, he used to get me to go and play with him okay, at his house by telling me he bought an Atari ST. If you're as young as me, that was an in... Piece, gaming PC of the time. You know, I'll go around there and he'll be like, oh, we'll get it down later. Let's just play first. And then halfway through my play session, okay, oh, it's on the, it's on the shelf and my mum can't get it today. We'll do it next week. Let's just play something else. Yeah, I've got a tire yesterday. He was just all talk to get me to play with him. See, somebody wants to play with me. Uh, okay. Faith can be all talk. You see, for faith to be real, for repentance to be genuine, it's something that is tangible. It's something that can be witnessed. It's something that's visible. It's sometimes accompanied by tears. It's certainly accompanied by a transformation of life, a change of direction. I've called this message 
180, doing a 180 online. If you go and listen online, you'll see the picture doing a 180. Because repentance demands that our lives do a swing, have a change of direction. That there's legitimate change. It requires that we've really called out to God for mercy. You know, in those, in those revival stories, you would have heard them. People talk about they were hanging onto lampposts, pleading for God because they saw visions of hell. And they were holding onto lampposts for fear of falling into hell and crying out to God to have mercy. What kind of life changing impact would that have on a person? There's a well-known book, and I'll not mention the name because I, I like the book. But on its conversion prayer, it's a one-liner. And it says simply, Jesus, I believe in you, I'm going to follow you. And that's okay, but hey, it's a bit deeper than that. Yes, the gospel is simply believe and repent, it is. But believe and repent are very big words. They're very powerful words. They carry a lot of weight with them. The Nineveh's friends realised that they were terrible people. And better still, they realised they didn't deserve God's mercy. Remember when they were crying out? It was a, perhaps maybe God will have mercy on you. They weren't, they weren't even sure God was going to do anything, but they were going to do everything they possibly could to try and appease this God. See, when your life's on the line, and they obviously believe their lives are on the line, we're moved to doing amazing things. And here's the next thing I want to just bring out from the text, without just breaking the text further any, any further, but just expanding it. Look, I want to suggest that the Ninevites didn't just repent on day one, two, or three of Jonah's preaching tour. They repented two weeks later. Four weeks later, six weeks later, eight weeks, ten weeks, twelve weeks, fourteen, sixteen, eighteen, twenty, ten years later. I think if we did a reconnaissance ten years later, we'd find that the people of, yeah, I think ten years does work. We know something changes in two generations. Ten years does work. Um, they were still repenting, still crying out to God for mercy. Why do I say that? What am I talking about? Because repentance is, faith and repentance are perpetually in motion. They're ongoing things. They continue. They're things that we revisit. Hey, look. Hands up here. Who on the day of their conversion? handed in every sin imaginable and walked a perfectly sinless life. Who? Matt's got his hand up. Anybody else? Apart from Matt, anybody else? 
Because what happens? What happens beyond confusion? And this surprises us as Christians. This surprises me. And the world is astonished by it because what did I always say? I thought you were a Christian. Like, you became sinlessly perfect the day you got converted. But we can sometimes imagine, don't we? I'm in now. I'm saved. I must be perfect. And, we re- and this is one thing you find about church leadership. Sometimes it's horrible being a church leader when you consider who you've got to work with. No, just because, no, meaning it's just horrible, horrible being a leader because you know what you realise about people? And I'm sure the team... I get shocked sometimes when I share reports, is that how awful we can be as Christians. And what awful things we can do post-conversion, post-salvation. And so repentance, faith and repentance is something that we do forever. Because, hey, Who's the oldest in this room? Thank you, Pam. Without even asking Pam to confess all her sins, I can guarantee you she's still sinning and will do till the day she dies. And you know, sometimes we discover, and you see this in ministry, some of the oldest people in the church are the worst. <laughs> Seriously. Seriously, and you wonder, you ask yourself, what has gone, what's happened for the last 50 years? But we get forgetful. We get forgetful, of course we do. We course we do, we do. So it is an ongoing experience. We return to them time and time again. And here's another, here's another one, friends. It's not that we're, we're just confessing, uh, we, we, re, we keep refacing, uh, uh, we're doing new sins, sorry. Oftentimes, if we're honest, we're repenting, even at whatever age Pam is, 44, you know, whatever age Pam is, okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm expecting a free lunch this week. Yeah, yeah. Uh, free dinner will do, Pam. Hey, old sins repeat themselves on us. Seriously. You can be 30 years down the road from our conversion experience and sins that I was doing when I was 16, I was converting when I was just before 16, about 15 years ago. Sins that I was committing when I was just 16, I'm battling with today. And you find, how many years is from 16 to what my age now? 34. 14. Okay. Selling businesses. <laughs> Is that right? That I've, I've made little or no progress. And, and, and the worst thing is, just when I think oh, I've actually conquered that one, had the blue, a curveball comes my way. And I'm down on my face. And so we have to admit, friends, we have to admit that the reason John writes is 1 John 1 8. It's, look, it's, it's the, almost the end of the Bible, 1 John 1. You've got the three Johns, Jude and Revelation. Just turn to it with you because I'm going to use this a couple of times. 1 John 1. So it's book number five from the end. 1 John 1, verses 8 to 10. Verse 8. If we and let me ask you, who is he writing to? Because you need to know this. Who is he writing to? Who's John writing to? Who did Paul write to? Who did Peter write to? Who did James write to? Who did all of the New Testament epistles writers write to? Christians. Yes, thank you. 
He's writing to Christians. So we can't get underneath this. He's writing to you and me. And this is what he says. If we, the church, if we claim to be without sin, what do we do? Someone finish it. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves. If we, but if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins. If we claim we've not sinned, we make him out to be a liar. Christian, don't ever come here Sunday morning believing I have a right to be here. We don't. We have no more right than the worst sinner out there because sinning is an ongoing Christian experience. And some sins, I've said some sins, we never shake off. Hey, look, addictive gambling, pornography, drugs, alcohol. If there are issues you've had or have had or once had, you've still got them. You'll never shake someone there off. I remember going to an AA meeting when I was in my first ministry. I saw this when I was looking for a picture of a support group. My name's Bill and Forgetful. Hi, Carl. <laughs> okay. I went to one of these AA meetings, Alcoholics Anonymous. And, and I was shocked. This lady got up. They did it one by one. But they all did it. Every time they got up, they said this. It was their opening phrase. She sort of says, my name's Anna. I'm an alcoholic. And I've been dry for 10 years. She's not an alcoholic. But she's an alcoholic. She has fought every day for 10 years not to take another drink. And she knows for the next 10 years she'll fight every day not to drink. She's an alcoholic. Hey. Some of our sins are so have such a grip on us, almost at the DNA level it seems, that we will never shake them off. But, says John, but, says John, we know that if we confess our sins, see, the mark of a Christian isn't someone who's now arrived at perfection. That's delusional. That's someone who's living a lie. There is a, there is a movement that believes in a chain of perfection. It's bizarre. In Christian, there is, really, it's bizarre. Okay? But look, uh, no, the Christian is someone who accepts that sin is an ongoing battle, some sins will be a lifelong battle, and that, that we will get caught out by sin from time to time, particularly, maybe even significant ones. But the Bible promises me, it promises you, it promises all who come to him, that if we confess our sins, if we cry out to him, if we humble ourselves, if we're remorseful, if we, may, you know, if we endeavour to be different... I mean, there's got to be there's got, there's something about the genuineness of repentance. There has to be a passion to be different, you see. Then God forgives us our sins. Monte, is it the case that even though we continue to try not to sin, there's only God that can remove that sin from us, that 
Totally, yes. And it has, because it has to be supernaturally born. And what God does for us at salvation, he does sanctify us. Sanctify us means we may be made perfect, sinlessly perfect. God does sanctify us, but only in the spiritual realm. The sanctification that the Bible speaks about is, is that he wipes you clean and makes you perfect spiritually. It's called positional sanctification. Otherwise, God could not deal with you. God could not stand being in your presence or listening to your voice if you weren't perfect. And so what Jesus' cross does for us, he makes us positionally, in position to God, perfect. When he looks at you, Yvonne, he sees only the cross, expiation, he's removed your sin, okay, and he sees Jesus transformation, you've received his, forgive, his, his perfectness, his righteousness. So he looks at you as though, but if this is a bizarre thing, God doesn't complete sanctification, which is we go from positional sanctification to actual sanctification. We go from being merely declared perfect to actually perfect. For reasons best known to God, Rivon, he only does that at death. Yeah. It's only at death. And that transition from this world to that world, when we arrive in eternity, there won't be any more battles with sin because the transition finally, and I think it must be related to the body because we give up the body, don't we? It's almost that sin is so attached to this body that whilst we're living in it, we'll never be removed from it perfectly. But when, we, when it gets buried, when it becomes separated and buried, at that stage we become all that Jesus is and perfect. But up until then, in our relationship with each other. Hey, I'm going to fall out with him. Guaranteed. If I'm, here, if I'm here long enough, I'm with you, I'm with you, I'm with you. Hang around with Christians long enough. They'll wind you up, silly. Okay? It's going to happen. Don't ever leave this church because someone sinned against you. You'll never find a church anywhere in the world where they will not sin against you. Okay? Someone's always going to warn you up on Sunday morning, Lorraine. Okay? Yeah. Seriously. <laughs> That's a good thing. Is, is, but John tells us, and this is chapter 2, this is 1 John 1, chapter 2. If anybody does sin, this is worth, if, you, if you've got your Bible open, so it's worth looking at. Chapter 1, it says if we confess our sins. Chapter 2 is lovely. It continues the thread. Chapter 2, verses 1 to 2. But if, if anybody does sin, and this is what we need to realise, this, this, this is why repentance can be ongoing, because it's not as though, I'm only going to forgive you, you've only got repentance on day one, get as much of it as you can, because you're not going to get any more. No, because this is what we know that it's ongoing, because 1 John 1, 2, 1 to 2, if anybody does sin, okay, when someone writes... And if you do, what's he presupposing? That you will. Okay? If I say, you know, uh, turn the lights off when you leave, but if, anybody, if, but, if you, but if you forget, here's the key. What am I, by saying that, what am I presupposing? It's going to happen. It's going to happen. Okay? So when John says, if anybody does sin, what's he saying? When you sin. That's what he's saying. When you sin. Okay, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense. Boy, 
That is powerful stuff, isn't it? Because when you fall and you feel terrible, we have someone who goes to the Father and he speaks for us. And guess what he says? What does he say? I died forever. Father, my blood was for her. And if God be true and is faithful to his word, he cannot, he cannot condemn you for your sin. We have an advocate with the Father in our defence. Can you see it's legal forensic language? Someone who stands up and speaks for you. And it says, no, Jesus Christ, the righteousness of God. And so, Christian, hey, don't lie to yourself. Confess your sins. Repent on them. Put structures into place. Look, if you're an, if you, if you're an alcoholic, okay, drive a different route. Homes, you don't get past Murphy. Is it called Murphy? Dan Murphy. Okay? Take wise action. But if you are caught out, hey, hey, don't ever say to yourself, don't ever say, hey, I've done something terrible. I don't think God will have me any longer. Because here's what Romans 8, 1 says. It's the last verse I'm going to quote. Romans 8, verse 1. You probably know it. I've quoted it many times. That is now no condemnation for those in Christ. Nineveh heard Jonah's sermons. They were cut to the heart. There was tangible, visible repentance. That, according to the whole message of Scripture, was ongoing for the duration of their lives. Until finally they came before God and received the righteousness that was there spiritually. Jesus is real. Believing in him is believing in something is real. Sin is real. Repentance in Jesus' name brings us forgiveness. The forgiveness of God for all who believe and repent of their sins. Genuine faith and repentance is an ongoing personal phenomenon that is authenticated by works. Hey, thanks for listening. If you're listening online, can I encourage you to come and visit live here at, uh, where, where do we meet? Modbury Special School, Hope Valley, North East Adelaide. Thank you. Living Word Bible Church. Teaching the Bible verse by verse.